Sometimes people like me, when they start talking about the Bible, make it incredibly uh, complicated, seem to complicate things. Sometimes the Bible is incredibly simple, and sometimes it takes us to really simple places, and it asks quite simple questions, and it gets us to think about quite simple concepts. Darkness and light. Christmas story is soaked in darkness and light. It's, almost, it's Star Wars-esque. That's probably the wrong way around. Star Wars is probably Christmas-esque, but it is. It's so covered with shades of darkness and light. And tonight, I want us to think uh, very simply about those two concepts. What is, what is darkness and what is light? Uh, ever since humans discovered man's red fire, do you know Mowgli and the Jungle Book story? Ever since we, yes, some nods, yeah, ever since we discovered man's red fire, and I, I'm going to talk about mankind, but I think specifically men. We love our, we love the, our capacity to, to make fire and to provide light. There's something that warms the cockles of our hearts that we're able to do that, isn't there? So go and get some wood and, and prepare some fire. And ever since we've had that moment in, in human history, I think we've never been able to quite leave that alone, have we? And, and, so, and I think Christmas time brings, brings out the the earthy, sort of prehistoric man in all of us, and we, we, get, to, we get to make light again. And, and when you see, and it's part of my drive home, one of my favorite things to do is watch for the bloke or the lady who's hanging up their Christmas lights, and, and we just want to make that bit more of a show of the Christmas lights, and they're willing to go that bit higher and that bit brighter. And I love, I love the vulnerability that you see as my, on my drive home. Every night through the estate, there is another fella perched precariously on a ladder, and they're kind of saying, yes, I want to celebrate Christmas with you, and I, and I, and I get it, and I want to celebrate Christmas, and they're partly saying, look at, the, look at the fire that I can make now, look at this kind of fire, look at, look at my sparkly house, it's like I'm going to pimp up my house, and it's back to this, it's the prehistoric man coming out of us, I think, we love the lights, don't we, human, the human race loves this idea that we can provide lights, and we've, we've sort of taken this idea and ran with it, I think. To the extent that if you look at the planet Earth, if you're privileged to go up on the, on the space station, or if you're an alien, I don't know, there are very few of those, but if you're in that position, you can look down on Earth and you can see human lights. And it's almost like humanity screaming up to the solar system saying, we've got it, we've figured it out. Lights. We've got so good at making light, you can see our imprint from space. One of the ironies about all this light that we're able to produce is that it stops us seeing light. I don't know if you've noticed this. In, in our quest to make more and more light, the, the great lights of the universe, the Milky Way, there are other great lights. I'm not very good at naming all the planets and all that sort of stuff. You know the kind of stuff I'm talking about. When you look out to the solar system, the great lights these big realities, these big masses of gas, we can't see them. It changes things more, I'm struggling with this, it changes things more than you know the, the way that we pollute our earth with the light, I think. I, uh, our conversations are very different. You walk through the city center of Leeds after you've done your Christmas shopping, the kind of conversations that you have, the focus that you have, um, maybe talk, talking to your partner or your friends or whatever else, is very different, the different kind of sky you're underneath. I was away in the Lake District uh, two weeks back with a bunch of, when I got there, I found to be the coolest, and maybe this is just what happens when you get to 38, everybody who's a teenager looks, looks incredibly cool. I was away in the Lake District, 
the Lake District with a really cool bunch, about 40 or 50 young teenage kids. Awesome, really, really cool, like bang on trend, all of them. Couldn't find a geek in there. They were just all so cool. It was incredible. And we went out for this midnight walk, and we left this lovely Christian manor house, went down the road, and they were all so cool, and they were all really being cool, and then they were faced with the night sky, unpolluted by our human light. And it was just, I don't know when the last time you saw it was. You forget when you live around in, in Ponty and Cass just what it looks like. It is beautiful. I feel like I'm getting soft. Maybe this hits you with age. But it, it wasn't just the age. The, these, kids were, these kids were young, and they stopped, they stopped their chat about what was going on in their lives. And they, they saw themselves, in some senses, in light of the universe. It changed their perspective. The chat, it was a two-hour walk. It was freezing, and they'd stopped being cool. And they were being introspective. Their focus was completely different. It alters our perspective. There was like light confusion. The Bible, I think, at Christmas time, really with the Christmas story and by the nature of the Christmas narrative, it causes us to think again about the subject of darkness and light. The Christmas story pulls us to this place where we are forced to consider it again. It's like, the, it's like God in his wisdom is saying, I'm going I'm to keep this story under your noses. I'm going to make you revisit it over and over again. I want you to really think about darkness. Have you, got this, have you understood how, how dark this world is? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about what it means to know real light, to know true light? Have you thought about what the light that the Bible talks about actually is? It's so important. I think the Bible is at pains to drag us there and explain it again. And, and the stories that, that Luke provides and Matthew provide in particular, they write these narratives that are just laced with, this is, it's like really clear, these are the baddies, these are the goodies, you need to think about darkness and light. But what, what they do through narrative, uh, John does in this, like this poetic, poetic verse, I'm just going to read it out to you. And, you, and, and, he's, and he's, what he's asking us to do is to think again about what it means, what is true darkness, what is the nature of true darkness, and what is light. In the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light, listen to this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's saying, think about the nature of light. Think about the nature of of darkness. Think about where you sit in the whole picture of it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The Bible is at, is at pains to hold us over and to explain again something that really ought to be simple, darkness and light. It says, think about the nature of darkness and light. Think about, think about darkness. Think about how dark the world is, us today. Think about the world that we live in. Think about the nature of darkness. This is something that we forget. And the Bible puts us in that space again. It says, think about this. What is the world like? Is it dark? Or is it like, and he says, think about the Christmas story. Think about all these lights that we read about. What does it mean that light came into the world? 
So we're just going to read. Um, Isaiah uh, speaks this word of, and, and as you were listening to it, maybe you, you thought, all right, I know that bit. I've heard that bit read out of the Christmas story a bunch of times. I know what that's on about. And I, I kind of, yeah, I've seen kids get up when they read that out. Yeah, I've got that. I didn't realize there was this, this, this bit before it that was quite dark, actually. And this bit in the middle that's actually a bit violent and a bit scary. What's all that about? And there's some, there's some passages in the Bible that, that deserve our time a little bit, that we, that we might dig around at them. And in this, in this particular text, Isaiah is, is really painting a very clear picture of, a, of desperate times and very dark times. So we get to see here, again, uh, what darkness is, and we get, to, we get to read what the Bible would explain darkness to be like. So we're, gonna, we're just going to read it through and, and pull out a few things out of the passage. When someone tells you, so focus in on the text and, and, try and, and try and draw out from it what, what exactly, it's not just that there's no light, it's not just that it's dark. What is it about the darkness that we can understand? When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Uh, distressed and hungry, they will roam the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking, this is brilliant, hold on to this verse and let's hard not to talk and dwell on this verse. A brilliant verse, so insightful. They will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Then they will look toward the earth and see distress and darkness and gloom. Let me just give you a bit of the backstory. So the Assyrian, this is, this is Isaiah's prophecy to the northern kingdom at this time. So you've got Jerusalem and Judah down in the south. You've got the northern kingdom, uh, the tribes a bit more isolated up in the north, and the Assyrian empire... You know about this from the history books. Have come in and they have, they have decimated them. They've wiped. They've kind of wiped them out. And these people, and kind of what you've got to remember is these are these are God's people in the promised land. This God says you're going to be here. You're going to be blessed and you're going to be fine. And the Assyrian Empire have come in and they've wiped them out. And these people are left there looking up like, well, what? I thought we were God's people. This is, this is like desperate. This is darkness like, like you've never seen. And Isaiah lets us in on that. He says, this is what's happening. You've gone away from God and, you, and, and, and you're, in, you're in dark times. And then he explores for us the way that they're in this darkness, but it gets even darker still. True darkness is when man forgets God. So look for it in this passage. True darkness is where man forgets God and turns in on himself. So these people are looking for light. They're looking for answers and they're looking for a way out, but look at the kind of things that they do. They turn in on themselves. Interesting, I think. So we see there in verse 19, they go to mediums and spiritists. I mean, that's dark, isn't it? These people are away from God, and it's not only that they've gone away from God, but actually now the people that they're asking, in terms of them trying to turn things around and, and try and get some answers on life, they're looking to mediums and spiritists. These are God's people. Isaiah is saying, man, this is dark. You're turning in on yourselves. You're looking to yourselves for answers. And it says again there in verse 20 that you're ignoring God's word. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. What he's saying is it's not only that it's dark for you, but the dawn, the light that you might hope that one day would ever come, that's out of sight as well. You're just, you're just stuck in pitch black. 
and you're stuck in pitch black because the, the, the word that God gave you to hang your lives on, to keep you together, you've disregarded that altogether. So we're saying that's what darkness is. Darkness is ignoring God's word. Darkness is turning in on yourselves. And then there's that verse that I just I want to kind of hold us over for a second. They will look to the earth. So he takes us to this place. They will look to the earth. That's, they're in this dark spot. And the way to get out of this dark spot, these people, God's people say, is we're going to look to the earth for answers. And what the Bible says is when they get there, they will only see distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. What does it say? They say you're going to turn in on yourselves in order to find the answers. You're going to look back down to planet earth to find the answers. And you're not going to find the answers. You're going to find actually that things get a bit darker. That's what darkness is. It's interesting, I think, when you reflect back on that from 21st century and we think about our points of human progress and the way that we function as human beings and the way that we try and chase change and even chase light. We might not even hold it as a concept, but the idea of light, we try and make human points of progress and we have think tanks and we have philosophies, and we have uh, educational platforms to focus in on, and we, 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 we kind of unite all this energy. And in, in our thinking and in our democratic ways of life, the, the best solutions that we can come up with don't eradicate darkness. You ever thought about that? We have never, ever, ever in our lifetime been this smart. We've never been so smart. We've never... Like the internet is, uh, human beings to create it are amazing. And then we get this thing called the internet, which is just amazing. And it holds together all this information, all this incredible truth. And yet we have this brilliant thing that we've made to try and make the world better. And yet there's still, there's the dark web. You make this brilliant thing to try and take the human race onto the next stage and darkness stays. We've never had as a human race so much wealth ever. So much wealth, and yet all the wealth that we can generate, all the smart minds, all the industry, all the economic reforms that we come up with, there is still poverty. It stays just as dark. We've never had so much law. We've never had so much democracy and so much government, and yet there still stays injustice in the world. We've never been so psychologically attuned to ourselves. We've never known more about what's going on in here, and it's amazing and it's insightful, and yet we don't end depression, and we don't end suicide. They stay. And what the Bible says, and it's really stark, it's quite a stark message. He says, this is what you do, you human beings. You turn in on yourselves, you th- and you, as a way to find more light, as a way to sort of make points of human progress, and actually, you are unable to push out the darkness, your light. You can't self-generate it. The more fairy lights you put up, the more think tanks you put together, actually, it only serves to illustrate the fact that the darkness is still prevalent. It stays. It stays dark. And the Christmas story reminds us, as Jesus comes into the world, this light comes into the world. What happens when Jesus comes into the world is we are fixed on and we are brought before the idea that actually the world is really dark. And when we're drawn to Jesus and we're drawn to the fairy lights and we're drawn to the magic and everything else, but the reality, when somebody puts the light on, is that you realize how dark it is everywhere else. That's what the Christmas story does. One of the things the Christmas story does. Maybe we don't focus on it. I can reflect back on, the, on my wilderness years, uh, 19 
to 22. Maybe I've had a, a bit longer than that in the wilderness, actually. I, I tried to rebel. It was, it was not brilliant. If I, knew I, if I knew that was going to be my rebellious phase, I think I would have tried a little bit harder. I was out doing the, the nightclub things, trying to be cool and all the rest of it, and I spent my nights in wakey. And my memory, as I thought back this week, I thought back about my rebellious phase, and what I remember about my rebellious phase was that wakey was dark. Not, not just like in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in a word sense, but actually, literally, it was like, it was darker than this, and there's a couple of reasons that it was dark. It was dark because there was all sorts of nonsense going on, and people wanted all sorts of nonsense to go on, and the floor would be kind of sticky, and the furniture was probably a bit rubbish, and the decor wasn't great, and then after you'd had a, a, a drink when you were a bit younger, you felt more attractive, and you thought that your words were more, you know, powerful and more brilliant, and you got more brilliant, and then the people that you would look at, they got more attractive too, but it was dark, and it wasn't until you got out of the, of the club or the pub or whatever it was, and you, you were faced with the cold, harsh lights of the kebab van. You know what I'm talking about? When you go and get the kebab at the end of the night, you walk out, it's freezing cold, and then you get the horrible kebab, and it, you're sobered in a second, and there's a, a mirror, and you think, man, I look rough, and they look horrific. What am I thinking? Do you know what I mean? It's, like, it's that moment of stark reality, and what happens in those moments is you remember, man, didn't seem like that in the nightclub. Didn't seem like that in the pub. Didn't feel that way at all. It's because it's dark. The light comes on. And you're like, oh yeah, man, that was dark. And that is the Christmas story. That is the Christmas story. The lights come on at Christmas time. This great light comes into the world. And one of the things that we see, although I hope that we see and we remain aware of, is that the world is dark. It's not a right nice message, is it? There's a better bit to come. There's a better bit to come. But it's good to get the heads up. Because we, I think that's one of the things that you get when you think back to, to those days is that we, that we forget that it's dark. That's the thing. We live in dark times, and we kind of just get consumed by it, and we accept the new norms and everything else. And one of the messages of the Bible is, no, hold this, remember this, it's dark. John 3.19 says, men love darkness more than light, because their deeds were evil. Just better that it's dark, and we can't have to, we, can't, we remain less aware of just how bad that we're getting, and it gets to the point where we don't mind the dark so much, because it covers our error. First point, first point to hold on to. It's, it's dark. It's darker than you think. It's darker than you've noticed, and it matters. And we need to see the light. And then Isaiah tells us about the light, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those. I got very Yorkshire, didn't I? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the lands that we've never heard of, the lands of Zebulun and the land of Nephalti. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness, this is the bit we know and we know well, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a great light has dawned. And Isaiah speaks here, as, as I guess the prophets do from time to time, as, he's in the, as if he's in the present. So it's like he's there. It's like he's there and he can, he can see the future. And, and the way he talks is like he's, he's looking at the future right now. So that's just to give you a heads up on the, kind of, on the tense of the language. And he says to the people in the northern kingdom, these people who, who are just desperate, 
and, and, and desolate and have lost all sense of their identity. He says to them, things are going to change around for you miraculously. So hold that. Why are things going to change around? He says, he says to them, it's not going to be a gloomy future for you. You're not going to be held in contempt. You're not going to have the nation of just your brothers down the road in Jerusalem looking down their noses at you. You're not going to remain desolate forever. Things are going to change for you people. Why and how? Let's look at how first. Verse, verse 3. This is the kind of change that's going to happen. This is the kind of change that Isaiah is prophesying about. This is what light looks like when it comes. You have, and this must have been hard for these people to hear. You know, these people are desolate. Think of Mosul and Kabul and, and cities like this, cities that have been overrun by empires and have lost all sense of themselves and all hope. This is, this is what Isaiah prophesies on these people. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing their plunder. What he's saying to them is things, things are going to turn around for you people who, who are very desolate now. Things are going to turn around in such a way it will be like when a farmer looks at the miraculous harvest and he's kind of trying to figure out what he's going to do with all the harvest that's come. And, he, and as he reflects on it, he thinks, well, I just I put the seed in the ground. I don't think I did very much else, and, I, and, and the sun came, and the rain came, and now I'm, I'm, I've got all this, this increase, this incredible increase. God's saying this, Isaiah's saying, this is what it's going to be like for you desolate people. You're going to look around one day in the future, and this nation of yours, which at the moment, you know, people are just leaving in floods. People don't want to be there because it's so desperate and it's so bad because God's not really there and they're so oppressed. In time, this nation of yours will grow in a way that you just can't even believe. You're going to look at it like the farmer looks at the harvest and go, what on earth is this? So think about that. Hold that thought. What does that mean? What is Isaiah prophesying about? Where is he headed for this nation of Israel? What are the consequences of this prophecy? Same again, verse 4. And I love where verse 4, uh, verse four takes us to, to one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Great story to read for, to your kids if you're a parent. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, takes us, and if you're a, you know, if you're of Jewish descent, if you're a Hebrew, this is just like saying, it's like Star Wars, it's, it's such a familiar backstory, we can just about, perhaps, maybe some of us can remember the story of Midian, but if, if you're reading, if you're here, if you're coming under this prophecy, you'll be like, yeah, I know the story of Midian, yeah, the story of Midian, and it's an amazing story, God's people sit with an army of about 32,000 and God, God, God speaks to Gideon, Gideon in Midian, that's how you remember it, Gideon in Midian, very easy. And he speaks to him and he said, there's too many. No army general says that, that's just it's nonsense language. God comes in, says to Gideon, the general, he says, you've got too many men, 32,000. Nobody says that, why was that the way to win a war? Too many men, of all the things you've got too many of. God says, too many men, get rid of some. And then we go through this story and this process where they get less and less men, less and less men over, over until the last, the last thing God says to Gideon, he says, right, get all these guys and, and get them to drink out, out of this stream. And the guys that lick, I think, it's, I think this is right, lick up the water like a dog is what he says. Go and check out the story in Judges. If you go and get the guys that lick up the water like a dog, that's the army that I want. It's a very odd military strategy, if you ask me. But, but it seemed to work. And that left... With, I left Gideon with an army of 320-odd people, something like that, 
from 32,000. And what happened on that day? God's people, Gideon's men, destroyed the Midianites. I was like, and Isaiah says in this story, the way that things are going to turn around for you is just like that story. Things are going to turn around so spectacularly, you will be like, you will have the confidence and the belief that comes with seeing a, a band of 320-odd guys destroy a massive army, and you will know, and that is, this is the purpose of the story, you will know that God did this. Whatever's going to happen in the future, this miraculous harvest, this increased nation, you're going to know, above all else, that God did this. What is it, what is it then? And we're getting to the hub of the matter now. What is it that changes everything around? Why a change of direction? Why this optimism? Because the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is you can flick through and see what happens the next part in the story. You flick through to, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, and you read about a man called Jesus, who goes to this place, to the land of Galilee, to the land, to the territory of Nephalti and Zebulun, and he goes there, and he starts by the side of the lake of Galilee, he starts to talk to the people, and he talks to the people in a way that the, ne- the world has never heard before, nor since, and the world will never be the same again from this moment on. A light has shone from Nazareth, just down the road, where everyone says nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nazareth, just down the road. Galilee, where these people are cursed. There's nothing going on for these people. Isaiah says, a light's going to shine from here that will change the whole world. It will never, ever be the same again. I want us to think on the nature of that light. There's a beautiful clue, I think, in the nature of that light that brings us hope at Christmas. How does he describe that light? He describes it as a light that overcomes. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The light that he talks of is not a, it's not a flickering candle. It's not a torch burning. It's not a fairy light twinkling, but it is a light dawning. That is the image that Isaiah puts in our minds. It is a light dawning. It is the sun dawning at first light. So think on that moment when you're lying in your bed in darkness. Beautiful, isn't it? Is it? Beautiful darkness, slumber, the covers on you. I love it. Love that moment, that just that hazy sleepiness of the darkness. And then that crisp bit of light finds its way somehow through your window and splits your room in two. A couple of things that you realize in that moment. In, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I want to lie in bed. I want to stay in, I want to stay in the darkness. I can, I can stay in the darkness. It's, there's lots of darkness around me. I can stay in the darkness. That's fine. I'll roll over. Ten more minutes, press the, smash the phone to bits. Ten more minutes of darkness. But what does that ray of light that comes through mean? The ray of light comes through the window means that outside the whole place is light. It means that day has dawned. What does Christmas mean? What does Christmas mean for us? When we see the stars, the star above Bethlehem, and we see Jesus, the perfect baby in the manger, when we see that chink of light, what does it mean? It means that day has come. 
means that this chink of light that we see now is the reality that outside this dark world that we can't kind of see past, that we might want to stay in for another 10 minutes, that we kind of have found comfort in, means that outside that light has dawned. When you look at the Christmas story, and when you dwell on the, on the manger scene, when you sing the Christmas carols, what I want you to remember in the build-up to Christmas is that light has dawned. And it changes things for us. It means we can't really ever be the same again. Because when we're lying in our beds, we know actually that we've got to get up and get ready. We know that we've got to live in light of the fact that it's day out there. That is what the Christmas story does for us. It reminds us that we need to live in light of the fact that heaven's an amazing place, that God will win the battles, that Christ's sacrifice has overcome everything for us. There's the challenge for you this Christmas. See the baby. Be aware that the world is dark and we forget it. See the light that Christ brings and live in light of it.